I'm not a heavy sweater. And in fact, I was at Frozen Head State Park at the end of July this year. And we were talking about how much water to bring out for, uh, you know, we thought we'd be out there six, seven hours. So how much water to bring? And I said, well, I just got my, my 70 ounces. I'm not a heavy sweater and we're out there and I'm just dripping. And the person looked over and said, so you're not a heavy sweater, huh? <laughs> I go, touche, touche. But we, we looked back and it was about 100% humidity and about 85 degrees that day. But yeah, at the start of, of this race, I remember looking at myself, you know, a mile or two into the course, I'm already sweating. Um, someone that was cheering for me said, yeah, your hair was all slicked back because it, you were so sweaty. And that was the coolest part of the race course. You're in 100% tree cover. The sun's not mm-hmm. even up yet. And the temperatures are as low as they're going to be for the day. I knew what was in store going down Ratshaw and through the prison, um, especially on the blacktop there. That gets pretty hot. Um, and then under the other power lines, it was going to be pretty hot and treacherous as well. I was thankful um, right before the turnaround. It was actually with the sun angle at that time of day. There, it was quite shady. Um, I wasn't expecting that and was just, you know, not looking forward to it, but also realizing that it was going to be pretty hot in the middle of that race course. Hey everyone, how you all doing? My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. I can't believe we've been off the air for over six months now. Super excited to have the show back and we have some amazing guests lined up. No more amazing than Andrea Larson, who became the first female to podium in the Barclay Fall Classic last weekend whilst retaining her title from the 2021 event. Andrea is fast becoming one of the best female ultra runners on the circuit, especially in this type of event. She won the first backyard that she entered with an incredible 162 miles and has taken a few podiums in 100 mile races. She's a strong background in adventure racing and is an extremely focused runner who puts the effort behind her performances. I am super excited to have her as our first guest back on air and even more excited to see what she has in store for us over the next 12 months so for now it is with great pleasure i give you andrea larson this is actually the first podcast i've done in six months i think um, i, I saw to... that since april so let's see how much rust you get on you but after 100 <laughs> plus episode i'm sure you'll just jump right back into it i i do my podcast the same way i do my races i just wing them <laughs> in the bed somehow we get to the end i'm not sure how that is like sometimes but listen so you did um you did come first in the bfc last year yes i did so tell me why did you sign back up again if you know (laughs) what was ahead of you oh i i love the barkley fall classic last year so it was an honor to be able to come back but i felt like i walked into the park for the first time at Barkley Fall Classic last year and I came lonely and afraid and I felt like I didn't truly deserve the win. I had some luck on my side. The lead pack took a wrong turn and I happened to be running nearby a runner that had done the course the prior year and he pulled me in the right direction and I would have done the same thing that they had done. So not only that, but also... I failed to understand what guaranteed slot meant, and the whole reason I went to Barkley Fall Classic was so I could claim that guaranteed slot for the Barkley Marathons, and because I failed in that respect, I had to come back and prove that I belonged at the cool. Barkley Marathon. So did you, um, was there a big, big difference then in your mental attitude, I suppose, coming into it a second time? Because obviously, I coming into the race this year, I was a total rookie. 
and I can't actually, I'm actually embarrassed by the cutoff mistake that I made, having an hour and a half in the bag the whole way. And within 10 minutes, not only did I lose my decision point, I almost lost the marathon because I really didn't understand the way the cutoffs have been set up. Such a major mistake. So tell me the difference in your sort of mentality going in um, on the second time round. It was a complete 180 degree difference in so many regards. I have to say, though, uh, even you using the term rookie, you don't even have the uh, Barkley lingo down. It's virgin uh, for your first time there. And I know that was a long time in the uh, making for you. You had talked several years, I believe, about coming to the Barkley Fall Classic. So it was great to see you be able to be there. But the second time around for me, um, as I mentioned earlier, last year was the first time I stepped foot into the park. And this time I had been there, this was my fourth time there. I'd uh, gone two additional scouting trips to the park to prepare myself, uh, mind and body for the the physical and mental rigors of uh, both races. And also just being now in the, the Barkley Fall Classic community, last year I mentioned I was lonely and afraid at the bib pickup it was because I walked in to bit pickup. I drove 12 hours by myself there. And this time I was able to go with uh, someone else. Um, I got chauffeured there even, I uh, like to say. So I didn't have to do any of the driving, which takes all the logistics um, stress off of you having been there. And then also knowing that you're with someone else, you don't have to worry as much about oversleeping an alarm or are you in the right place at the right time. And also, I during one of, during my scouting trips, both times I had the opportunities to be with other Barkley Fall Classic uh, community members, and got more engaged in the Barkley Fall Classic community. Um, this time around, I was staying at uh, a local's house, and she had about thirty wow. people from the race there at one point, I think, at her house. So it was amazing hearing the all the the Laz and Barkley Fall Classic stories. I got to talk to Keith Dunn. Um, Corey Waltering was there, among several other people that I got to uh, chit-chat with uh, and just hear these crazy stories about the Barkley Fall Classic of how Laz has these, and Barkley Marathon, about how Laz's wizardry uh, powers come to prevail in certain instances, and whether it's a dead deer carcass on the trail that everybody has to step over that looks like a rock, or that he's able to control the weather and get it to, to stop exactly when he blows the conch, and then it resumes the second that he lights his cigarette, so it's amazing hearing all these stories, and and, and just having the privilege to be in a place where we can not have to think about all the other things going on around in the world and just talk about running and being outside and enjoying the, the great community outdoors. community is a huge word that you can associate with a Barkley Fall Classic. Well, I've, I've raced all around the world. Um, I remember interviewing a guy called Aaron Simmons um, who'd done the Bigfoot 200 at the time. And it's something he talked about was the community that he's never really felt before. And obviously, as you mentioned there, um, I got in the BFC 2020 and because of COVID, it rolled over and then the visas didn't open in 21, so it rolled over again. So from an outsider looking at the um, Facebook page, I didn't really get it until now that I've been to the race. Now I feel part of the, the forum, if you like, and you're part of that group and you know people from there. And it's a huge thing, isn't it? It's something I wasn't expecting. 
Um, especially on the outer back, they weren't only just community, they were they were family at that stage. <laughs> People were going past you like and it's like, Oh Rob, oh, you look you look great, man, you look great and I'm like inside I'm going like, No, I know I don't, but thanks anyway. <laughs> um but it is fantastic. I'd have to say about the out and back was it was amazing. I I mean, we we all passed pretty much everyone in the field that had made it, you know, to that point in the race. So I'm guessing you know, 300 to 350 runners, we had the opportunity to pass in that one back section. And I mean, there's probably only about two people that I went by the whole time that didn't say something positive to me as I was passing them. Um, unfortunately, I was, I wanted to stay so focused and not lose any uh, uh, bits of energy to uh, other than self-propulsion forward motion down the trail that um, I didn't say a lot to most people, but I did appreciate everyone that said something. And um, everybody did, I know everybody was in their own world of suffering because of where that was on the course. And everybody just seemed to be in a positive, you know, state, at least what they were projecting um, onto me as I was going past. So that was delusional at that stage. I think everybody was. What is it about Lazarus Lake? Um, we were very lucky. Obviously, I interviewed Laz a couple of years ago, and <clears throat> obviously, he's this huge enigma. I think that's the perfect word to describe him. Um, the day before the race, we met him putting his flags out. So for us, traveling over to Ireland, it was fantastic um, to meet Laz with not too many people about. And he's just got this aurora, hasn't he? Like It's like that photograph. I got th- that photograph <laughs> standing next to him in his red checkered shirt that every ultra runner sort of cherishes. But you just hang on every single word that he says. You know, it's just like everything, everything comes out of his mouth. You just like, you hang on it. What is it about him? Like, how, how is it that he's, there's nobody else like him, like, is there? No, um, he has incredible wit and um, the opportunity for us to find something within us that we didn't know was there. Um, I, I do want to point out, I mean, he's, he hasn't become a legend overnight though. I mean, he's been at this for, you know, 40 plus years and creating these races. And a lot of us see where he has become today, but it, it was persistence. And I think he puts on six races a year. And a lot of these, you know, have been going now, some of a couple of them have been going 35, 40 years. So it's that consistency and, um, just like the ultra runner that has to continue putting in that those workouts and effort each day, he's been doing it each and every day for years and years and years. So he he has been a, a great um, contributor to our sport on so many levels of whether he's been writing for Ultra Runner magazine for decades and decades or putting on races or even as a, a runner himself, he always is very humble on how he talks about his running career but he was, you know, a pretty darn good runner. And I mean, even today, um, a couple of years ago, he did a, yeah. a transcontinental walk so he could tell everyone they could walk from wherever they were. And so he puts his money where the mouth, his mm-hmm. mouth is too. He lives the life of where he wants his um, athletes or racers to be in his Yeah, and it's races. not even like, he's not making, he's not a normal race director, obviously. Um, he's not looking just to create a race for you to finish. He's creating a race to make you better. And that's something that you can carry on without getting too deep and profound. But it's it's not just about the race. It's about making you a stronger person. Obviously, in the in the world that we live in at the moment, you know, it's so much softer than what it used to be. Um, everything is sort of gifted to us on a plate. 
and we sort of lost that in, uh, innate ability. And that's what he loves seeing. He loves seeing people tapping back into that resource. That's his buzz. There's no doubt about that. And seeing that last person cross over the finish line, you know, with a couple of seconds to go, with almost tears coming down that his their face. You know, there's nothing better for Laz to see that, knowing what that person's been through. And that's what it's all about for him. Yes, and I do want to point out then a couple seconds later, the next people coming down the trail, I was at the finish line this year at the Barkley Fall Classic um, at 13 hours and 20 minutes. And about three seconds you know, later, well, we saw their headlines before then as it was you know, 319 and 50 seconds, we saw two more headlamps coming out of the woods and we realized they probably wouldn't make it. And sure enough, they were halfway down the finish stretch and one person, um, I remember just seeing him just pretty much freeze as he saw that clock hit 13.20.00 and realizing he was about four seconds too late. And the other person looking, you know, just as distraught. So now they have to live 365 more days before they can uh, have an, an opportunity. That to was like, that I was line. there as well. Um, it was like an emotional wave, which is the best way to describe that. So every time, you know, somebody came in, there's a couple of minutes left, but all of a sudden there's another head torch. Oh, shit, excuse my language, but it's like, two minutes, run, run, run. You see that head torch coming through the forest and it comes across the line. And it's elation for everybody. Such a buzz. And you've watched about four or five people come under the 13 hours, 20 minutes. And then you see a light and you don't know whether it's going to make it or not. And it just doesn't. And all of a sudden, that emotional wave crashes. So for the whole audience that's at the finish line, what was an amazing buzz, all of a sudden it's like, ugh. I actually don't want to see this anymore. This is so unfair on these guys, like, you know, because you know that they have just gone through exactly what everybody else has got, and you're talking seconds. I think those people come out the stronger, though, to be honest. You know, on reflection, they get a, a stronger bite and more drive to come back and beat Lazarus Lake at his own game. Yes, I can uh, speak firsthand of an, uh, a race that I had over 10 years ago where I thought had, I had second place locked up in a race. And within a mile of the finish line of a hundred mile race, I got passed from behind the year before I had, uh, I think the second fastest split on that section. So I figured no one would be catching me. My crew knew the closest person was about 20 minutes behind me prior to the, um, in the, in the last uh, aid station before the finish. And someone wanted it more than I, and that still stings over 10 years ago of having someone pass me. Um, nearly within sight of the finish line she beat me by five or six seconds and it still still drives me today to never let up until I'm across so that the finish line. that was you the whole time in every single race that you do. That wasn't a normal race either was it? It was Leadville 100 you know it was one of the, the top guns as well like so you can see the strength that that gives you. Unfortunately I don't <laughs> I'm never in the position somebody might overtake me for like place 150th I'm like okay I, I couldn't live with that <laughs> But um, it really nearly happened for me in this race, which is a different story, which I'm, I'm going to keep. Um, but I made the, the cutoff for the marathon with 19 seconds left to go. So I was running down that hill like a maniac to try and get in. People screaming, you've one minute to go, you've one minute to go. So the cutoffs are actually real all the way throughout the race for people, even though it's not just the finish line. Everybody's living their own finish lines throughout those cutoffs, which is absolutely epic. Huge dropout in the race this year. Um, but I do want to dip into the race and sort of, I'm normally quite nervous when I've done interviews on the Barkley Marathon. So 
But I've read all of the what's been mentioned on BFC, etc., and what people know of already. So it's not as cloak and daggers as the Barclay, but we know what people know about already, and we sort of stick within those sort of guidelines in the podcast. Talk to me about your training this year, then going into the Barclay, because obviously in the number one spot this time was your marker, and there's nothing else you wanted to accept. Yes. So going into Barclay Fall Classic, I wanted to improve upon last year. So within all my races. I always have different sets of goals. I think I had six goals written down for this race. I knew some of them were dependent on who shows up. Some of them are dependent on the concoction of a race course that Laz and Steve Durbin, the race director, put together. And then some are overcoming my own uh, mental hurdles and physical hurdles of the day. So I always try to come up with some goals that are within my control as well as some that you know you obviously like to have external goals such as place and time but sometimes there's other factors such as weather or just the competition that that's not going to be in the cards for the day so looking at the map I knew a a course record even a top 10 women's time was probably not feasible Um, after seeing it's had a thousand more feet of climbing than last year and then we'd be going down a a 2,000 foot drop that rather than taking less than 10 minutes would take about an hour <laughs> to descend down just of how it was uh, positioned within the briar patches and um, you know assessing those goals um, no woman had ever podiumed at Barkley Fall Classic wow. before that certainly was within my um, powers um, obviously there were some 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 people that have had um, real Barkley experience as well as more experience here and as well as just more talented runners. But for one reason or another, I was able to pull ahead in front of all but two other racers at the, the race and able to just move up throughout the day and pick them off kind of one by one and run a smart tactically race based on my experiences and what I've learned from last year and putting in more specific training. So I've had 12 months to think about this race um, it's a stepstone for something bigger and wanted to put my best foot forward, literally and figuratively, for this race and prove that I'm a woman that belongs at the yeah. Barclay Marathon. I would love to get into the Barclay Marathons, but after doing BFC, I'm like, frig that. <laughs> How does anybody go back out on another loop? Let's talk about the week leading up to that then. Um, so we've done a lot more specific training. You've done a, a bit of training on, on in actually Frozen State Park at Stealth Lake. Um, which I'm sure helps significantly because it's all about desensitizing yourself as well, isn't it? And getting used to, because like on the warm-up loop when I was climbing and climbing and climbing, I was like, am I seriously still climbing? And the, because it was so... Aren't you a mountain guide? I am a mountain guide. <laughs> and, and do you know what? I, do you know what? See, to be honest though, like I thought the warm-up would be um, relatively easy for me because I'm just going to fast hike this, you know, run down. But the bloody heat got me. You know, I was not used to that at all. And halfway around, I was I sat down. I actually went to the bathroom and realized, Jesus, I'm actually dehydrated. I've never been that dehydrated so early on in an event. I, I'm not a heavy sweater. And in fact, I was at Frozen Head State Park at the end of July this year. And the pr- we were talking about how much water to bring out for, uh, you know, we thought we'd be out there six, seven hours. So much water to bring and I said well I just got my my 70 ounces I'm not a heavy sweater and we're out there and I'm just dripping and 
the person looked over and said, so you're not a heavy sweater, huh? <laughs> I go, touche, touche. But we, we looked back and it was about 100% humidity and about 85 degrees that day. But yeah, at the start of, of this race, I remember looking at myself, you know, a mile or two into the course, I'm already sweating. Um, someone that was cheering for me said, yeah, your hair was all slicked back because it, you were so sweaty. And that was the coolest part of the you know, race course. You're in 100% tree cover. The sun's not mm-hmm. even up yet. And the temperatures are as low as they're going to be for the day. I knew what was in store going down Ratshaw and through the prison, um, especially on the blacktop there, that gets pretty hot. Um, and then under the other power lines, it was going to be pretty hot and treacherous as well. I was thankful um, right before the turnaround. It was actually with the sun angle at that time of day. There, it was quite shady. Um, I wasn't expecting that and was just, you know, not looking forward to it, but also realizing that it was going to be pretty hot in the middle of that race course. Yeah, it was a factor. I didn't listen. I didn't factor much in, to be honest. As I said, I was winging it, <laughs> but it was a f- it was something that I hadn't factored in that um, as a virgin, um, you definitely have to think about going forward. Because I, I found when I was racing, uh, no longer was I actually racing. I was just managing the issues that I was getting. So, you know, your quads were starting to cramp or you needed more salt or you needed this or you needed that. And it was just a real problem-solving event from start to finish for me rather than actually doing an event. Your body could move forward if you could fix the problems. It's really as simple as that. Um, at the start of the race then, so you'd driven, you got chauffeured, as you say, like it's a 13-hour drive. That sounds mad. Yeah, I had to drive like the first hour forward. He met up and carpooled with someone else, and he and his wife uh, did all the driving. And um, Fantastic. But it, was, it was worth it. How long before the event did you travel down? Uh, we just left the Thursday beforehand. Um, at that point, you're in a taper mode anyhow, so being around there is just going to be nervous energy, I feel. Uh, so I got a family at home and other obligations, so just wanted to um, make use best use of my time when I was there. And the job was to come back with a win and podium, hopefully overall, and uh, make it back home to family safe and sound. <laughs> In the cover of darkness, any before anyone knew you'd even left the house. So tell me then, when you're you're queued up then, um, waiting for the map, and you received your map, it's a quite an exciting time, isn't it, to see what the course is? What was your first thoughts? Well, when I was standing in bit pickup, is this is where we'll find out our fate <laughs> for the next uh, day. And when I saw the map, I was I was quite shocked. It was almost identical course as the prior year, okay. and the section that was different. I mean, it was just regular trails at the park. So, um, had been on all those trails. Um, it was the first time I ever ran some of those trails quickly. I didn't uh, think that some of those trails I could run as fast as I could um it was actually quite fun um after the first aid station to be able to be flowing down some of that single track um there were a lot of switchbacks so it was nice having other people in front of me that I could kind of see where the switchbacks were coming up and be able to just focus on uh letting the 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 down the gravity do the work on the downhill and then when it came to the climb just kind of watching the people in front of me and kind of gauging every once in a while how far they are, make sure I'm not wandering um, and not letting them get away from me. I was trying to visualize Gillian Cornet going down these switchbacks because he, he almost recovers on the descent 
I was visualizing myself doing what he does. <laughs> I'm sure I was like an elephant tripping over every single stump in front of me. Like, um, you missed some of the carnage then, obviously being out in front. But I know when I was coming down the switchbacks, every now and then you would hear this roar down below you as somebody's twisted an ankle or something. I heard two yells. Um, <laughs> I think both of them in that between the first and second aid station. And what came to my mind was snakes. I was afraid of. Um, poisonous snakes i live in an area where we really have nothing to worry about um there aren't any poisonous snakes where i live um no poisonous bugs or anything like that so very fortunate in not having to worry about those things but when i was scouting in my july trip uh one time i nearly stepped on a uh well twice actually almost stepped on a rattlesnake and a copperhead and went running with someone that had about a week or two earlier gotten bit by a, a rattlesnake so um, I was a little nervous about that because I had high goals going into the race and something like that, you'd pretty much have to walk out, um, just because if you get, get your heart right up, you know, that's when things can go bad with a snake bite. So that would pretty much end a race. And that's certainly not in your control, even though you've done all the training and the work for it. It's going to sound like a really stupid question. Cause we're from Ireland. We don't have snakes in Ireland at all. Um, some people are quite surprised when I was telling them on course, we actually don't have snakes like, and they're like, what? Yeah, well, St. Patrick took all the snakes out of Ireland. Um, so what do you actually do if you get bit by a rattlesnake out in course? Like, how, how bad is it? Yeah, so I had to look it up when I was there then <laughs> because we, I went running. Then I'm on the scouting trips with a, someone that had gotten um, bit, and he was a local. And um, luckily, he is a nurse, so I could ask him a few questions, and I did a little bit more research. And basically, you want to keep your heart rate down. Um, okay. So he just walked out. And um, since he has a medical background, he didn't, I don't think he went in to get it checked out because there's nothing to do if you feel, you know, okay. So he took it easy um, for a couple of days, but yeah, that, that venom gets, I so think, that's in the big, the big tip. high heart rate. The big tip is don't yep. go back up rat jaw or down rat jaw if you get bit by a snake, <laughs> walk out. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, I was actually done. really shocked because obviously I heard of these like rumors of like hogs and snakes and blah 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 i really wasn't expecting to see any but on the bfc page afterwards all these photographs of snakes and i was like holy shit there really is loads of snakes in that place like i'm glad i didn't have that awareness going in i suppose it helped being at the back a bit as well like because uh obviously the people in the front were the ones that were getting bitten but it was funny though i have to say this there's a few things do bite you as well coming down the trails you just oh shit you know you can hear people screaming I was checking people's legs because they're saying it's definitely still there. I was like, no, there's nothing there, mate. Like, <laughs> you're you're fine. Um, but there's there's things just hiding everywhere, ready to stick their fangs into the back of your legs. Yeah, the sawbriars were pretty brutal. I opted to wear long sleeves the whole race, and I actually p- carried pants. They were soaked through by the time I put them on at the top of Rat Jaw. But I was between the second and sixth person going down Rat Jaw, um, so they're wasn't we couldn't see the the trail that luke nelson had put down um he he had been about 15 minutes ahead of us before the chase pack caught him or um, got to ratcha and i opted to wear pants but i was overheating then because of the um, warm temperatures i think it got up to about 85 degrees and you're in that full sun but going down um, ratcha the first time i was barely cut up at all because i had the long pants on so um that was good but then i had to take them off as soon as i got to the prison i was like i I can't keep these on anymore 
And so last year, the next section of the course under the power lines had like no sawbriars. I remember like maybe like five, um, that whole section. And this time it was pretty brutal as well. And so I think once again, Laz was using his wizardry powers to exponentially um, <laughs> lay out uh, sawbriars on that section, of course, um, because last year we only had to do, um, um, we didn't do quite as much of that section as we did this year. And so we got to go through it all of it twice, whereas last year we only went through half of it twice. So the out and back was where it was all going to happen, wasn't it, really? I mean, that, that was the That's race. That's where the race starts. <clears throat> The yep. race sort of started and even finished on the out and back, really, because you knew everything that was going to happen, really, based on getting back up Rapjaw. Um, it was fantastic for me because these were all just names that I'd heard of, you know, Rapjaw, Through the Prison, Meth Lab, <laughs> which is like still gets me. Like, um, And I was really naive to the fact, we'll get to that bit in a minute, but I actually thought uh, Meth Lab and Testicle Spectacle were the one climb. To my distraught, I found out no, it's either side of the hill. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a fun moment for me. But we got a bit of a, um, a bit of a breather when we hit the top of chimney because there was a little bit of an air come through, and I mean that saved me. To be honest, like just getting a little bit, it made that much of a difference, you know, coming out of that humidity and heat. As you say, we recovered pretty much of the climb, and you got a bit of that heat. Uh, so sorry, a bit of air. And then you came, because it was was Luke, wasn't it, got to Ratjaw first? Like, I can only imagine. Yes. Like, he didn't know what to do, did he? Like, really, that was, I think I, I read a post from him, I think. Um, yeah, he where said he, he didn't used know every down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he could think of to get down that thing. And I can't imagine doing it by yourself. And I, I led the chase pack for a little bit because, you know, I said, I'll go in the front because I got long sleeve long pants on. And it was just so much work um there you couldn't see where your feet were going so you're tripping on briars you know there's times your feet just got tangled in it and sometimes there was rocks underneath you and you wouldn't know until you took a step down and all of a sudden like your knee kind of buckled under you because you had six more inches of a drop off and then there were some <laughs> spots that was so thick we had to crawl under it all because you couldn't step over anything but then you're going downhill and just like it's like you know doing those planks and push-ups with your feet up on a chair or something you're, you're just working so hard to go down the hill and you're getting fatigued that way as well so it was it was punching you in every direction it changes the, the, the dynamic doesn't it like because this isn't an out and out race if you get there first you have to make the decision do you want to be there first and how much energy mm -hmm. you're going to lose by getting there and then actually you you're working for the people behind you then being out of front yeah um, but luckily, you know, people work as a team in, in those packs, so people trade off. It's not one person um, breaking the trail the whole time. Last year, it was actually, I was at a low point when I <laughs> literally and figuratively was uh, climbing up Ratjaw, but then the lead pack is going so slow that I actually got caught up on all my hydration and electrolytes, mm. got some time literally crawling so you're off your feet. Um, and got caught up on all those things. And this year I realized I could be getting in trouble because as I was leading, I was exerting myself a lot more and wasn't able to eat or drink when, you know, you're trying to bush, bushwhack yeah, your way yeah. through those briars. And I said, I, you know, can someone else take the lead for a little bit? Because I could tell I was just digging myself a hole and 
knowing that that's really where the race starts is the bottom of there. So randomly, for those who don't know, like the night before, <laughs> I was with um, a contingency of, there was five of us from Ireland, th um, two of them had experienced it, one had been in the Barclay as well, uh, the big Barclay. And <laughs> the night before, it was like 7 p.m. I said, I, I don't have any gloves. And the shock in their face, he's like, what? <laughs> I goes, yeah, I better go to Walmart and get some gloves. And randomly, I actually met Jenny, the photographer. Um, mm -hmm. I was just in Walmart, which is massive to me, getting lost, and I finally found the garden gloves. And I was trying to look for an, X, an XL pair, and I never met Jenny before. And she goes to me, uh, She's wonderful. Are you doing the BFC? I said, How do you know that? She goes, There's nobody else <laughs> going to be holding a My Little Pony watch and a pair of gardening gloves in the one place. Like, <laughs> and I just burst out laughing. Like, it was just so random. To have met her at that moment yeah. in time, holding a My Little Pony watch and a packet of <laughs> no other race is that going to happen. But I have to say, when I when I hit that, obviously a lot of the course has been cleared. So it's not only just trying to clear a path down that. The sun, as you rightly pointed out, was just baking that whole bank. And it was nothing like that I'd ever felt before. It was just like, whoa, that's proper heat. Like, um, you could actually feel... It's almost like you're in an oven at that stage. And I thought this is, you're coming into a total exposed area there from then on, aren't you? Yes. You know, the I, I had the impre uh, expectation that the next, you know, three hours was going to be pretty much full exposure and just baking in the heat. I'll have to tell you um, at the turnaround, I didn't know John Kelly was going to be there. And, and I, right before the turnaround, I was, I was realizing I was getting into some trouble with heat exhaustion, potentially. Um, I wasn't eating anymore. I could only drink, you know, so much. And I couldn't, you know, it seemed like I couldn't keep up on my hydration. I drank 16 pounds of liquids through the race. Um, and, see, you know, first of all, seeing, you know, people coming through the turnaround and only being a couple of minutes behind was one to pick me up. But then, yeah, seeing John there, not expecting him was just, you know, amazing. And I didn't, I don't think I realized until after I saw the pictures that he was in his, uh, I'll say his uh, notorious uh, Barkley get up with his uh, orange prison hat yeah. and his like, farm target bag. But that was amazing to see him there giving back to the, the Barkley uh, fall classic community. And then this was the first time I thought to even inquire if there happened to be any ice out on course. Um, and because they offered me a Coke, I'm normally just repulsed by a Coke. I've been in many races where people are like, oh, I can't wait to get an isopropyl Coke at the next aid station. I'm like, oh, that just sounds awful. I hate carbonated beverages. I hate pop. And the first thought was, is it cold? Because I'm willing to take anything at this point. I knew that, you know, it would be high in calories with the sugars. Give me a pick me up. And I pretty much drink that whole thing right then and there. And then it dawned on me if they got a cold Coke, they might have ice. And so I thought that I asked for ice. And that was the only place I believe I, on the whole course they had ice. Um, was able to load up on ice and then head back out. And that was just an absolute lifesaver. And I guess the reason that there was even ice and cokes on the course was the person I stayed with. Um, she is a local and, and, and knew the person running that aid station and requested that. And so it was just kind of interesting how things, and I, I didn't know about it. Wow. Um, so it just came full circle. Um, you know, a little bit of coincidence and um, a lot of luck of how things unfolded. And next aid station, I asked for 
um, ice and they looked at me like I was crazy. We don't have ice. So um, by then, you know, my body had rebounded enough, but um, that was very fortuitous. It's the the small things, isn't it? Like when I eventually realized that the end of meth lab wasn't testicle spectacle (laughs) when I got up onto the road and I really wanted to sit down Somebody goes, you know, there's Coke at the turnaround. I went, what, seriously? And that was enough for me just to keep on going. Then all I was focused on was the Coke. But I have to say, I found it harder going down Tesco Spectacle than coming up because my quads were shot. And a lot of it was to do with heat and how much salt I was taking. And I was surprised. I, I didn't, I only took like, I think I took like 12, it sounds like a lot, like 12 salt tabs for me, but I used every single one of them. But <laughs> when I got down there, and I had actually three cups of Coke. <laughs> so, so sorry. I'm hopefully everybody got enough Coke. Um, I took one. I took another one. Went, geez, that is so good. Like, I would love to fill my bottle up, but I, w- I wouldn't ask. But I'm not joking. Like, it just bounced me back. Like, the, the difference that made, like, just having that sugar intake. And as you said, the ice, you know, it's a simple little thing, isn't it? It shows you how much, how fuel's important, what goes into your body and how it can change how you're feeling. And I'll have to say, too, about the electrolytes was I packed my pack before I left home, and I planned on spending between 9 and 10 hours on the course, and I, I ended up spending more than 10 hours on the course. And as I was I was making those uh, climbs, I was doing the math in my head, and I said, oh, no, um, I'm going through an electrolyte an hour. I'm not going to have enough for the race. I'm going to have to you know, hopefully a, a racer or someone at an aid station has more electrolytes because I'm not going to make it. And I think, you know, at that point, you, you really, your body really needs those things. And no lie, I was going up Gunny Sack Hill, which is the base of Rat Jaw. <laughs> and it was the only time I had seen anything laying out on the course. Um, and it was hanging like a Christmas ornament right next to my eyes as I was climbing up the, the Gunny Sack Hill. Right in front of me was a whole baggie of, I believe they were electrolytes. They were a good placebo if they weren't. <laughs> um, and I totally grabbed those and put them in my pack. And I said, thank you, um, whoever had, had had them snagged on a sawbriar bush. Um, I'm, but, glad, I'm glad uh, that wasn't, this is a bad joke, but I'm glad they weren't on meth lab. <laughs> they might have been dangerous <laughs> to take. I didn't think about that one. but um, um, That's yeah, ironic. I mean, that's our, ironic. Yeah. Um, and our bodies are just, you know, so depleted, you know, towards the end of the race. Um, I was, get, I, I couldn't keep up on my hydration anymore. I, I down 40 ounces of, um, liquid, um, in an hour from the last aid station and had to run the last, you know, 30 minutes without anything to drink. Um, it was a little, you know, I was optimized on not carrying more, more liquids. I had a, a spare bladder, um, that was empty on me too. Um, because I learned last year's winner of BFC, um, all the sawbriars poked holes in his uh, soft blast. So no when way. I got to the the bushwhacking sections, I switched to my bladder and put literally put my soft blacks into my pack so I wouldn't puncture them. That's um, a huge tip there, isn't it? That would be shocking if that had happened. Yeah, so he got lucky. Um at one point, he said he was running and just licking dirty, tail, muddy tailwind out of its baggies that he was carrying with him because, um, you know, it was rainy and muddy, and he had made that wrong turn. He was out of liquids, 
and yeah, he said it was pretty miserable. And then I saw someone else at the finish line, literally carrying a water jug because that's what they had at the the aid stations. And he uh, must have lost his or uh, or um, punctured his soft glass as well. And he had to literally run with a rope with a, a water jug across his chest. So you got to make it work, whatever you need to do to get to that finish line. I seen one guy with a sole off his shoe. I don't know if you've seen him. He had it all taped back up with duct tape. <laughs> I thought fair play. I think, like, I heard, I think I heard about that one. Yeah. Um, as you were talking about water there, I, I saw a laugh because you give me a memory. Um, at the bottom of Rat Jaw, I had actually four water flasks, which are 500 ml. I don't know what that is in ounces. Is it maybe 16 ounces or something like that? Um, and it was like a balloon debate. I emptied two bottles. And I'm, like, I'm not carrying that all the way up here. Then halfway up, I had no water. I was like, damn, I shouldn't have emptied that water. <laughs> I didn't think it would take mm -hmm. me that long to get up. Like, I'm not joking. That took me, it was, I actually went from going to make the cutoff at the bottom of Rat Jaw, eating two cliff blocks and my last two salt tablets to halfway up it going, shit, we're not going to make the marathon cutoff. And I just couldn't get that into my head. How, how has that gone so wrong all of a sudden? Such a climb. It's so crazy to think an hour to go a mile i remember reading a race report i think that's what it was entitled and i'm like well this guy wasn't in shape or whatever but no it's true it's an hour to go one mile between the saw briars the elevation and just uh, where it is positioned on the course it's 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 what it says it you know is going to be well you're not even you're not even like you're literally crawling like as you said um you called it the what what you call the start of it the hill gunny sack hill it should be called the wall, not hill, <laughs> you know, because it's just a mud wall. And I remember looking at it thinking, I don't even know where to hold here. I'm just going to walk towards it and hopefully some intuition will give me something to grab onto. Um, I can only imagine what that's like with water running down it. Because the year before you did have rain, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, so last year was quite the monsoon. I think it had let up by the time we had hit that section of the course, but rat jaw um we went up one and a half times so it was kind of interesting uh we got to the bottom of the prison and we had to break trail and i was in that lead pack because of the people that took a wrong turn and the, the front runners were and when we got to the section we had already done all you know 400 plus runners had gone through there and now that part section was a giant slip and slide <laughs> and luckily that cable was there and i we were, I was starting to lap people that were going to be timed out. And a few of them were just hanging on for dear life on that uh, cable. That's uh, an old cable that got uh, disbanded there. And at one point there was a larger gentleman that just hanging on. You could see in his eyes, he was not going to be able to move. And I had to like bear hug him as I like went around. Cause you couldn't, you just slip back down if you weren't grabbing that cable. So yeah, last year was more of an amusement park going up uh, the second time, whereas this year it was just a grind. It was you, the hill, and the saw briars between you and your next step, and you had to want to get up to the top. Yeah, I think that was the problem for me. The I lost. I did have the want in the first half. The second half, I just wanted to lie down and sleep. <laughs> I actually thought to myself, no, that's a good story, actually. I fell asleep on Rat Joe. I'm happy with that DNF. <laughs> I actually... Halfway up, when I went to lift up the cable, I didn't have the energy to lift the cable. I'm sure people listening to me can relate to that. So I just dropped it to the ground and crawled. <laughs> it was just like, I literally haven't got the energy to hold that cable up. Yeah, I found that 
sometimes I would grab the cable and I kind of keep it low to the ground. Um, but the the pack down trail kind of weaved a little bit. So then I'd have to like step back over the cable and I was like, oh, is this worth it? I don't know. Um, it, it's, you know, pick your poison at that point. <laughs> yeah. um, I was really naive actually, because when I came into the jail, I actually met you um, just as you were coming into the jail and I was coming out of the jail. Um, we passed words. Um, I can't remember what they were like. And I thought to myself, Jesus, actually, because Aaron was, I l- Aaron was just coming over the walls we, as I was coming over the walls. So I stepped by and let him by, obviously. And I thought, Jesus, not too bad. Do you know what I mean? I've only got one more. They're only one hill ahead of me. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Little did I know, like, a, a, a real virgin. Like, people laugh when they hear that. But I was very naive to think, actually, I'm not doing too bad because the cutoff says it's only an hour up and down there. Like, so that's good. They're not that far ahead of me. Jeepers, so I nearly didn't finish. And even even going up um, rat jaw. What position were you at going up rat jaw? I was in fourth. Wow, that was cool. So, but um, I, I couldn't see anybody until the very, very top. I could see Luke. He had done all the work bushwhacking down rat jaw and i think he had left too much out on the course the first time down and so i was starting to see him at the very top but i was still passing people um that were still going down so that was nice to you know have a little bit of i don't know something to break up the climb to think about as you're passing other people not just you and yourself so is your uh, do you find it easier going up and down up or down it's the downhills that, that kill me. Same mm. uh, as you mentioned, quads. Um, somehow I haven't been able to crack a straight up 100 miler, no matter how mountainous or flat, relatively flat it is. My quads um, already before the halfway point every single time um, start to give way. And it's weird because the 100Ks, that same relative distance in the race, I'm fine. So I must have some demons with the hundred mile distance there. I think that but like that's that's what worries me. You were obviously after the podium then, um, being in fourth place, coming up over the top and up to the tower. Because when I met you, you were super focused by the signs of going into the race as well. This this was the key thing for you. You know, you you try to stay because you can lose a lot of energy, can't you? I remember in my days of running marathons, coming around the corner, my first marathons, and you're cheering and roaring at everybody, like the London Marathon, going around the Big Ben, going, yay, to everybody. And then you realize you've just spent like 10% of your <laughs> energy cheering. And if you keep within yourself, it does conserve a lot of mental energy. Yes, and what I'm more afraid of is losing focus and then you know focusing in more on the external versus the internal and getting mm. behind on nutrition or hydration or blanking, you know, I've had races before where I was watching someone sit on a park bench, blew by a sign, and ended up going a mile in the wrong direction. So that's that's and that's all on you is paying attention, making sure you know where you're going, um, and that that stings as well when you make a mental error like that and um, you don't get that opportunity back sometimes. Because there is there's two or three areas um, that Laz had that wasn't marked. So I came off meth, meth lab the bridge and I actually had to wait because I was like, I don't remember any sort of turn-offs, typical virgin again. And I was going to go right at the bridge when it was actually left. So I was glad I did wait for somebody. I waited till he went to the top of the hill and he turned back and goes, no, this is right way. I goes, okay. <laughs> and then at the very end, um, I can't remember what it's called, something trail, we, we actually took... Um, a switchback. There was four of us coming down. We only had like a mile to go, like, and 
guy goes, I don't think we should have switched. We went about 200 meters down that path, went, hold on a sec, pull the map out. This is a straight line on the map. What have we done? Let's go back. But it happened so easy. It's because we were just talking, obviously. We were happy that we were just completing the marathon at that stage. And we were just enjoying each other's company. Well, in the section you didn't do that was on the, the 50K course was uh, the final trail. Um, it was the first time I've seen it. Uh, it's an old Jeep road, I believe. And it was graded. Um, and I knew it turned on to single track. And I'm thinking, well, they had to get the grader up on this trail. So that means that the grader is going to continue going uh, down the hill on whatever access point they had. And it's going to be easy to, to miss wow. that single track turn. And so I was <laughs> I was definitely focusing on that and second guessing, keeping looking at my watch of, okay, I know about how far roughly it is down the hill before my turn. And frantically checking my watch to make sure I didn't bomb down the hill and miss the turn onto the final single track. So be aware, any virgins listening to this, because people try and listen to as many podcasts as possible. Do look at your map and do understand where you're going, because not everywhere, not everything's marked. And be careful of other people <laughs> who haven't listened to this podcast yes. that do turn the wrong way, because it happens quite a lot. Uh, yeah, as far as I know, there's always a lot of people that make wrong turns, including the leaders and. Um, you don't want to be, you don't, you don't get anything for being a lemming out there um, for following the leader and you don't want to rely on someone else because they may be um, in the same boat as you of never having been there. Um, so make sure you put it on yourself to know where to go. The stats in this race are very, they're not like any other race. So I, I did do 80K of um, UTMB three weeks before this you know and you've got and to be honest i had a comfortable 80k that was my plan based on training blah 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 just to get to um come year and get the bus back <laughs> shamefully but this is a totally different thing you can't go by distance and elevation to understand how difficult this is you know it's a it's a real suffer fest <laughs> for better word i think laz actually does us all a favor by not allowing the smart watches because when i was training there and i'd look at my smart watch i'd be like I only went six miles in <laughs> two and a half hours and I'm going, you know, 18 minute mile pace when I thought I was, you know, exerting myself. So um, I, I think, I think people might actually be worse off thinking that they would, can hold a certain pace there. And um, he also gives us the opportunity to detach and um, having a little bit more of that wilderness experience that the Barkley marathons folks get um, by just being with us and, outdoors and the trail no i i, I agree 100 percent. Like, I, I actually wouldn't have even made the marathon if i had my watch on even being honest because we had 17 minutes to go halfway up ratchel <laughs> to get to the next checkpoint and the four of us sat down looking miserable at each other saying we haven't made the cutoff for the marathon how's that happened and i said i actually shouted at them says look this is exactly what laz is trying to do is get us to this point 17 minutes there's no hope of making it this is when the race starts. Let's get up and at least frig, frig him. <laughs> Let's not give up here. Let's give up at 18 minutes time when we don't make the cutoff. And I got to the top of the tower and I pulled out my little pony watch and I looked at it and I had five minutes to get to the checkpoint. And I asked the guy, how far is it? He says three quarters of a mile. I tried to do the math and went, shit, I'm not going to do this. So I just went like a demon as fast as I could. And I made it by 19 seconds. But I do know if I have my watch, 
I definitely wouldn't have went after it the way I did, you know, because you would have just done the calculation and went, shit, you definitely haven't got that. You haven't got it there, like, you know, um, based on <laughs> how the race was going for me at that time. And the random thing as normal, as soon as I crossed that and you had done it, it was, everything was fine. I felt like I just started the race again. You know, the whole way back down, then you're like, ah. Oh. The worst thing, not the worst thing for me, I hadn't raced in a couple of years, um, COVID and all that good stuff. And you do, you do lose that mental fortitude that you get, all the mental confidence you get going through races. And the frustrating thing for me was, because I did the first half of um, Rat Joe, I did, um, I was able to keep going. Then I started sitting down as those were going on. The four of us were sitting down, taking it in turns. I remember one rock that we came across. People are going to know this rock going up Rat Joe. And we spent 10 seconds each on it because <laughs> the path was too small to stop. Like, But the frustrating thing for me was I knew I was just feeling sorry for myself, that I could keep on going. And it was because I've done these type of races before, not obviously like the Barkley, but um, where I've had to keep on going when there's no hope or you're in the dark or the pain cave, if you like, or whatever. I was fr so frustrating like, to be feeling sorry for yourself when you know you don't have to. And it's just looking for that little bit of comfort, isn't it? And I think why I was feeling more frustrated was because you're doing Laz's race. If he was standing next to you, he'd be going, hey, man, what are, you <laughs> what are you doing sitting down? You're nowhere near. You've got so much more in the tank, don't you? And John Kelly actually helped me. He, do he doesn't realize it, but he said to me just as I was leaving, doesn't matter how, how slow you're going, just keep moving. No matter what, just keep moving. And I think that's the key thing, no matter what's going on. Absolutely. And something interesting is looking at the stats of how many people finished in the last 10 minutes before the final cutoff. So in three hours and 10 minutes and, you know, three thir or sorry, 13 hours and 10 minutes and in 13 hours and even the last hour, um, the number of people crossing that finish line is pretty incredible. If you look at the stats from the race, um, I believe this is probably the lowest finisher rate of any Barkley Fall Classic. There was only 108 finishers of the 50k which is on par with the year of 2020 when they only over allowed I think a third of the entries that they had this year and um you know it, it goes to say though too by having those tight cutoffs you know I, I I happen to wonder you know if the cutoff was 13 hours how many of those people would still find a way to get to the finish yeah, in that 13 yeah. hour cutoff and find an extra 20 minutes on course um it's mad. You know, having, having that 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 you know hard cut off and knowing that's what you're up against, you find a way to to, to squeak under it. At least uh, a good chunk of people do. So no, hundred percent. We had one guy with us from Ireland as well. He had actually he didn't actually get to make the decision point because he had no head torch with him last time. <laughs> so Laz wouldn't let him go on. That was a real um, rookie mistake that one. Um, but he came back, and so we were all sitting waiting on him. Because at the decision point, you know, you've chosen to DNF or finish. And, you know, it was 13 hours, 10 minutes. And you are just, oh, please, 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 you know, let's hope that he comes around the corner. Um, I think it was 3, 13, 12 he finished. But um, the amount of people that was, it was I, I was shocked. I remember standing going, Jesus, how is everybody finishing? Like, is this normal? There's such a wave of people coming through with just like 10 minutes to go right to the finish time like and you could tell they were just they putting their heart and soul into every single step just to try and get them to that finish line and it's hard to know actually how close it is for them as well isn't it you know so mm -hmm. what i what i talked about with those 19 seconds to go 
that happened. That wasn't just a one-off in that race for somebody. That happened to loads of people at loads of places. That's what's so fantastic about it, I think. Mm-hmm. And it gives you the opportunity to, to rise above where you think you could be um, by having that challenge. What was the last section? How were you feeling when you came into the decision point then? Like we, because s- there's a lot going on, obviously with food and water, and you know, keeping the the machine going, I suppose, like in your problem solving and all of that, and the little cramps starting to appear here, <laughs> here, there, and everywhere due to the heat, exhaustion, and and just fatigue and stuff like that. How were you feeling at the decision point? Were you? That was time for the victory lap. <laughs> uh, so. I was in fourth at that point, so I wanted to, to get that podium position, and I was able to um, track down uh, uh, Luke Nelson, who was who had expended a lot of energy earlier on the course. Um, last year, I remember uh, reeling in some people going up that section. It was the same last uh, loop at decision point as the prior year, so I had that experience of my belt I had run that section several times as well in between last year and this year um, so I knew how to tackle that and knew once I got to the top of that ridge um, you run on the ridge line for a little bit and then obviously it's all downhill from there so you can go pretty hard on that last climb but um, just you know be smart about it um, last year my mantra was aggressive but controlled um, and so kind of having a similar outlook at that point to not let anybody um, catch me and lose that podium spot that I felt that I had earned. Um, and then take it home, run smart. Um, like I said, I consumed all 40 ounces of my liquids in the last hour and had to go half an hour without anything, but knew that I was be fine because that was the end of the race. Had it been more in the race, I would have gotten more before then. But yeah, and then not waiting until I crossed the finish line to celebrate. Um, because you don't know who's right around the corner. And uh, I was fortunate that I did have a gap, but I didn't want to have that um, it's still moment te- to happen. It's still technical, point. though, isn't it? Like, you still have to be... Because I was running down the last section, then I don't know how far it was, three miles. It must be near four miles, because it took us quite a while. But I kicked a stone and went flying, you know, and I had no pressure on me then, you know, I wasn't obviously going after a podium and I knew once you get the cross, once you go past the, the last cutoff, you've loads of time to finish the marathon and it's all downhill. Um, and I kicked a stone and went flying and went, Jesus, I'm not going through all that to twist an ankle because you can do it so easily, can't you? So that you must have to stay extremely focused as well as pushing as hard as you can um, because it's, it, it is a technical course. Yes, so having that mentality of, any step could, you know, be your last. I've had <laughs> ankle issues and have, um, I know all too well about taking a misstep and all too often they're not all that technical is just losing focus and, you know, just being sloppy. And I did not want that to ever happen in a race situation. So was fortunate, made it to the finish line unscathed. Um, I don't, I don't think I fell at all on the trail sections in the, the bushwhack sections. Everybody's fumbling over everything and sometimes you kind of fall and crawl on your own anyhow um but yeah i was able to get through the race unscathed and um, be able to celebrate once across the finish line and then get to cheer on all the other racers that worked so hard to get to the finish line as well huge relief crossing that finish line and um, did you know immediately you were, well you obviously did know that you were in podium 
So that was, yep. as you said there, no um, female racers actually podiumed first, second or third in the history of the BFC. So that was absolutely mind-blowing and fantastic. Like, you must have been extremely proud of that moment. Absolutely. And, um, you know, less than 10% behind the, the winning time, which Laz kind of gives the stats that say that women, at, you know, on average are about 10% slower than men. So proving that... <laughs> I can be within that 10% window and hopefully that gives me enough of a cushion to put a good showing at the Barkley marathons um, where there's so many more variables against you, um, whether it's navigation, the fog, the weather, the cold, or just uh, your own training or overtraining and coming in injured. So uh, there, there's a lot more variables that everything needs to come together at the right time and place, um, but we'll see what, what what's in store come this spring it is it's true isn't it like just being like the bfc gives you a little taste but the volume is down low you know the big barkley everything is amplified because we had um billy reeds good friend of mine he'd done the barkley was he's with nikki spinks at the time and i think claire but something tells me it was like 30 degrees or close to it during the day and then they had snow at night it's like what the heck <laughs> you know it's like you couldn't write that stuff like um so everything is like the obviously the shorter days the cold um not as many people on routes all these different things like and it's such a mental battle but i have to say like up there i've, I've been a follower from the barkley from day dot not day dot obviously but since it came on the radar for us guys maybe seven or eight years ago maybe the bfc does give you an appreciation of how mad the the real barkley is and it was like I did think myself now that I'm a mountain guide and my orienteering skills are really good and, you know, I might get an, uh, an actual chance if I can get my fitness back up to where it was. <laughs> but after doing the BFC, I was like, frick that. <laughs> as much as I would, I would love to go and cruise somebody at the Barkley. How about that? That's my next goal. I've, I've de-escalated it down slightly, knowing what's ahead. But, like, even it gives you a sense of, you know, when you finish a loop, because it's 13 hours and 20 minutes as well, isn't it? And that's why he, he's brought the 13 hours and 20 minutes. We had Jasmine Paris coming over and doing the fun run, um, just sort of timed out on the third loop. And, like, how tough... It gives you an idea of how tough it is to go back out again. Like, does that... How do, how do you feel about that? Because, obviously, I just expressed how I felt about it. Well, it'll be a lot different in the, the Big Barkley because the majority of the race is off trail so you're gonna have to be navigating a lot more which if you're navigating my pace slows tremendously down when I go off trail and then you're basically um, from what I've learned is you're basically going up and down the slopes and um, you know there's gonna be a lot more uh, I guess cardiac uh, 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 just more more strenuous going up the hills and then uh, even harder getting down the hills because now you're going to have to go down even greater uh, slopes and steepness and then make sure you're going down the re right, correct re-entrance and getting to the correct confluences and so on and so forth and then having to stomp around looking for a book that you know is hidden unlike orienteering or adventure races where the orienteering flags are meant to be seen these books are meant to not be seen by the public and so you could be in the right place and just step over it um, and 
get frustrated by walking past something. So yeah, there's a lot more variables. Um, some people lose their minds. Yeah, some people lose their minds knowing that the book is here. It's like when you put your keys or your bank card somewhere and y it's just not there. You're like, no, I definitely put it there. <laughs> and people wander around for hours and that's it. Yeah, so so being out there for 10 e hours is easy. I mean, if you look at 20% uh, of any race you've done, whether it's a 100 mile or a marathon or anything in between, I mean, I hope the 20% in, you're feeling good. So you got to extrapolate that out. How do you feel then when you're at 80% of the way done? And that's that's why it gets so... You know, one of the reasons why it's uh, so difficult is you know, how you have such a strenuous mind, uh, mentally you know, exhausting and sleep de deprivation uh, against you um, on the course, as mm. well as weather and everything else that gets thrown at you. So er everything you've done in training needs to be amplified as well, because you have to simulate what you're going through, isn't it? And putting yourself in as much hardship as possible and coming through that is the only thing that's going to allow you to survive a, an event um, like the Barkley Marathon. It's going to be a momentous time. It's going to happen when a woman comes and touches that yellow gate on the fifth loop. You know, Laz teases everybody. It initially, he used to say, you know, he's not going to finish this race. But you know he's trying to get people to raise their profile up to do it. It needs a bit of luck, I think, but it's going to happen. Yeah, and ultimately, you just need more women in the sports. I mean, how often are you at a trail run where less than a third of the people there are women or adventure races where basically it's the mandatory third that are required to make co-ed teams are there or, you know, other in any um, outdoor adventure sport where just women aren't represented. So by sheer numbers and statistics, the odds are a lot slimmer when you have less people doing it. And not to, to mention our, our, our physical capabilities are less. I mean, you get a few anomalies here and there, but in, generally speaking, we have less muscle, less strength, but we can overcome it with, you know, maybe being a little more tactful. Um, you're able to uh, suffer a lot sure. more as well. You're we'll able, see about that. You're <laughs> able to suffer a lot more as well. I remember um, when I came home, I did actually watch everything on the Barkley over again because I thought I would have a different association with it, and I did <laughs> after being on part of the route. But Nikki Spinks was saying, you know, um, women are just getting more belief in themselves, and they need to hurry up a bit more with that. And a lot of that is to do with that, isn't it? It's it's like you podium in, in the BFC, which, again, I won't go past, was a fantastic um, result. But you had the belief that you could do it. You know, if you went to that event thinking you didn't, you know, you go, okay, I'm in fourth place now, Luke's ahead of me. You would have been accepting of that moment, which you weren't because that wasn't your goal going into it. So it was all self-belief, which is a huge thing coming into an event like this. And I think Nikki was right. You've seen it more and more. And we've got so many people like yourself and we have likes of Courtney, and Maggie Goodrell and things like that. Given, you know, won the backyard, Courtney winning UTMB and people just... It's the times they're doing it as well. Absolutely mind-blowing. So this belief is building and building and building. And all women racers are, are gaining from that building block going into these events and starting to question their ability. But it's a fantastic thing to see. We've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast, how women are moving forward a lot quicker than men. And it's happening over and over again. We're hearing it in, in these bigger races. It'd be good to see a woman beat the Barkley. That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. The question is, is it going to be you, Andrea? This is the question. So 
Um, when do they? I know the Barclay Paul Classic um, registration is already open. We had who was second place? Was it um, Cedric? Second. Sec Aaron second was first. Was second. Aaron was first. We had Luke in fourth place. Who was the third male? Is it Yana? Was second female? Yeah, she was a she was a top female. And then we uh, had um, yep. our adopted Irish Aaron. friend Karen. So we had Karen on the podcast yep. before. Like, so we've adopted her. We're gonna actually. Um, hijack her and bring her home with us next time I think yeah and I want to point something out about Aaron is he's the only uh, person that's done every single Barkley Fall Classic right. and this was his first win at the Barkley Fall Classic so well deserved and shows you that experience will prevail he's such a cool dude as well event. I hate that I hate when you've got these amazing runners and they look super cool like <laughs> it's like as if you haven't got enough going for you come on <laughs> leave some for us at the back <laughs> Oh, don't uh, worry, I don't look good when I'm running. I see <laughs> pictures and uh, videos of myself and I say, oh, how do people stand to take pictures and videos of me as I go by? Andrea, that, it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, great um, episode coming back. You've got an exciting year ahead, hopefully. I've already put my name in the hat for next year because Karen mentioned, you know, you know you have to come back for un unfinished business. She she grounded me after finishing the marathon. Like, you didn't really finish. You know that. It's a 50K race. So I'm like damn you karen like we have to come back um super excited knowing what it's all about and i actually have to put a bit of effort into the <laughs> to the event to get the 50k and to uh, take all those lessons forward but you won the backyard as well um your home backyard wasn't it yes it was 100 how many miles last was that? year 100 and, was it 37 loops or it was, it was four miles a loop uh yeah, yeah. i did about 163 miles 163. and then i had no one left to run with so that was phenom that was phenomenal for a first backyard. So it shows you, you know, you're really demonstrating what your mental fortitude is to be able to go that far on your first. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I mean, to be realistic about a woman at Barkley, I mean, to be on course for 39 hours, that pretty much puts you farther, you know, as far as any woman's gone. So even though I haven't gone beyond that, um, I've got enough in the tank to, to go far enough to be credible. Yeah, no, 100%. I think you've proven that over and over again. Like, So it's been fantastic. To, uh, I was buzzing um, when I touched base with you and you said you do the podcast. Like, Because you actually, I was blown away when you ran past me um, in the jail. Not just by like how strong you were, but also by the wind as you went flying past. <laughs> and I was scraping my feet yeah. along the ground. Um, I wish you all Maybe that was the wind pushing me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you all the luck um, going into next year. I'm going to be super excited. You're on everybody's radar, so I'm, I'm looking forward to see what the year ahead brings for you. That we're talking about next year now with the whole spring and everything else. Because you've done quite a few 100-mile races as well, you know, and come first in those. And you're in the... Sh I'm going to say you're in the shape of your life, like, at the minute for these type of races. Yes, I, I feel like I need to make every, you know, opportunity count because eventually I'm going to start slowing down and you don't know if that'll be tomorrow or, you know, a couple of years from now. So got to make most of the, the talent that and opportunities that we have in front of us. Super inspiring, Andrew. Andrea, I appreciate it. Um, Andrea's got three kids as well. So I don't want to hear people's excuses. <laughs> she just, she jumped over on the weekend and accomplished this. So um, there is that saying, you know, if you want to do something, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. And we're going to finish on that. 
absolutely absolutely delighted to be back if you enjoyed the podcast leave a comment or follow us on facebook we are staying with the bfc next week where we discuss the fine line between success and failure with two awesome guests which i will keep a secret for now but until next week stay safe and keep on moving <laughs>